Hello and welcome to episode number 147 of the Apple Podcast. I'm your host, Simon Head. Today's podcast is brought to you by Bose All Natural Brewing. Bose, and I'd like to thank Tim and Bose for dropping off a shit ton of beer over the last week, and it's, it hasn't gone unnoticed, believe me. Let's talk about a couple of brands. First one being Lugtread. It, in three words, it's crisp, balanced, and refreshing. Lugtread is a lager ale. It's a term they coined. It's fermented like an ale and cold aged like a lager. It's been Bose flagship brand since they opened in 2006. As of 2017, it's now available in 355 milliliter cans for the first time, and it's won over more than 20 awards. The other one is full-time IPA. It's hoppy, fruity, and bold, and it comes in these big, huge bottles. It's their newest full-time brand. That's where it got the name. Tasting notes for IPA. It pours hazy, deep gold with a dense white foam, aromas of citrus, tropical fruit, and pine. A balanced bitterness underpins the flavor. This medium-bodied ale finishes dry with lingering hop and fruit notes. Pick up bows anywhere beer is sold, nationwide. That's Canada. And if you're from the United States... Boo-hoo! You can't get this beer. If you Well, if you come across the border, you can come and get it. Once again, thanks, Tim, for dropping off the beer. It is delicious. Hey, Amazon shoppers, you want to support the show? And you want to shop on Amazon at the same time? Well, I'm not stopping you from shopping on Amazon. Go to applelog.ca slash Amazon. Or if you're from the United States, go to applelog.ca slash US Amazon. And when you shop on Amazon, where you go to those links and shop on Amazon, you're supporting the show. It costs you no extra money. And it is a very good way to support the show. So if you want to do it the old-fashioned way, go to the homepage, applelog.ca, and click on those links on the right side. Same thing. Bookmark. Link. Shop. Use the links. Support the show. If you're interested in supporting the show on a monthly basis, go to patreon.com slash You can pledge as much or as little as you want on a monthly basis to help with my hosting and gas fees. You can cancel at any time. If you're interested in supporting the show by going to the applelog.ca slash shop, you can buy a t-shirt there and buy the Foursquare discography, my old band, for 20 bucks. If you're on iTunes, don't forget to subscribe, rate and review the show. Give it five stars, please. Like the show on Facebook by going to facebook.com slash applelogpod and follow me on Twitter at simonhead666. And that's all the spots. Fast, right? Yeah. Yeah. Beer. Shopping, Patreon, T-shirt, it's all the stuff. Today on the show is a very old good friend of mine, Andrew Novosky. Andrew Novosky is a concert pianist. He's also, he was the technician for York University where I used to work, and he would maintain well over 100 pianos. He's very knowledgeable. He's lived in music his whole life. He's a great guy. Here he is, Andrew Novosky on the Uplock Podcast. What is Novosky? Is that uh, Ukrainian? Yeah, yeah, you'd you'd be right. It was it's probably more Ukrainian than anything. But it's uh, uh, our family comes from a town that that at the time my grandfather left, it was uh, part of Poland, and then uh, for many years it was Russian, and then now it's in modern day Ukraine. Yeah. So you can kind of 
you can be whatever you want. <laughs> you know, it depends on the on the time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so, what generation are you, uh, Canadian? Uh, well, my parents were born here, and the, my mother's parents were born here. My father's parents, one was born here, and one was not. Okay. So it's a little bit of a mixed bag. So you still got family at home and things like that, and. No, uh, all of the family, the, the Navaskis were all wiped out in the Second World War. What? Really? Yeah, yeah. They're, uh, I, I've got, it's just the family that was here uh, is the only family that we have. There's, there's none left overseas. My goodness. Yeah. And it, what, was, what, what, took, what took the whole side, that whole side of the Atlantic? Uh, well, the Second World War, really. Oh, yeah. it was my, uh, my grandfather left uh, about three weeks before uh, Germany invaded Poland. Yeah. And uh, a lot of people don't really know the history, but uh, uh, Poland actually wasn't just invaded by Germany. It was also invaded by, by the Soviets. Yeah. And uh, over time, there was just sort of a systematic wiping out of a lot of the population. And, and our understanding is that the Germans did most of it. Um, but uh, rural towns at, at that time, if, if you were either executed, you often starved. Um, or uh, in, entire families were wiped out entire cities were wiped out it's just uh, sort of the the nature of the beast at that time so it was cl uh, the cleansing of the race kind of stuff uh not so much i mean we our family background's not jewish or anything like that but there was there was just a uh a, a sort of a i, I wouldn't even say it, it it was more of an ideological war and i think part of the uh, the mythology for the germans at that time was uh to just they they were they needed a lot of the the farming and wheat and resources from the east at that point, so they let a lot of the locals starve. Uh, so it's not that it was targeted per se. Mm -hmm. uh, it, I don't really know enough about it to to be able to say for sure, but it could have been that there were uh, Russian Jews in the town and they just decided to wipe it out. Um, who really knows? But uh, all we know is that, uh, to our knowledge, uh, there were no survivors. The other side of it is, of course, the, the record keeping back then wasn't really that great. So uh, who really knows for sure? But yeah. Uh, yeah. Have you ever tried to do like that 23andMe stuff where you do the gene testing? Yeah, I've, I've thought about it. My grandmother is uh, 85 and, and she's kind of kind of curious. So I thought about maybe getting that for her uh, her birthday to maybe try and do like a test of the genealogy and whatnot and see how far back we go or even if we could find anybody. She's actually been over there a couple of times mm -hmm. um, and uh, and had no luck. So I suppose we can, we can always try. <laughs> That's insane. Like your whole family. Like I, I have a British side of the family. I couldn't even imagine them all just disappearing and then that's it. They're gone. Yeah. They're, they're done around. I mean, yeah. that, I guess it was a sign of the times back then, but geez, man. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, England was kind of spared a lot of that. Um, you yeah. know, just being on the island and, and of course the bombings were, were quite intense, but it was in the Soviet Union or at least in Eastern Europe, you know, lands east of Poland, there were 30 million people killed. That's the population of Canada right now. No. <laughs> so it's 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 insane, uh, you know, when you actually put it into perspective. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. So you know, we don't really think of it much because we we never met any of them. So yeah. it's it's kind of odd for us, I guess. Yeah. Still, I find that very strange. Yeah. Uh, very strange, and hopefully, that maybe there's one person out there, you know, <laughs> out there. To, Be nice. Yeah. Yeah, I know. Um, so about you, you're. We've we've known each other for a good ten years now, a good over ten years now. And eleven. Eleven. That's right. Yes, that's true. You remember when you started? <laughs> yes. Your, your job, your tenure at York University as as the piano technician, and which is a pretty awesome full time, well, pretty full time job, really, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, it it could be. 
<laughs> it's it's currently not the way that they do it there now, but it's uh, uh, it's uh, yeah, it's a lot of work. It's a lot of responsibility for sure. Um, but uh, yeah, that's that's I guess you could say that's my full time work for sure. Yeah, I mean the whole thing about well, we don't need to talk about York too much, but if you don't keep up on it and things fail, it all falls mm-hmm. on your shoulders, and then nobody would take the blame, saying, "Oh, maybe we should have actually hired a full time person to take care of these." <laughs> 400 pianos you know it's eh, a good idea yeah. too late now let's go buy some more i know a donor yeah that's that's often the way it works yes <laughs> yes yes and i've been trapped in that i got caught up in that whole bureaucracy or not bureaucracy dictatorship i want to call it but um happier days prevailed and uh you know i've been gone for about a year and a half and you know you're still there and you're still working away and you know mm-hmm. so um i mean when did you do you have siblings I have a stepsister. Yeah, okay. So have you always been like the music kid? Yeah, predominantly. It's um uh, on my dad's side there there wasn't really a lot of music going on. Um you know, everybody loves music and whatnot, but uh, nobody really played anything. Uh my mom's side was was generally pretty musical. They they all took lessons when they were kids. Um one of them actually went on to be a a, a, a high school music teacher and uh, and so forth but uh, for the most part i mean it was just me uh, i grew up in the sticks up around aurelia uh it was before internet uh cable tv was like 13 channels max and uh, there wasn't really a whole lot to do i was in a neighborhood where there was only one other kid and he was a great deal younger than i was so you had to find ways to uh you know sort of entertain yourself and the, the piano almost uh, uh sort of became the go-to back then it was uh, uh and a lot of it wasn't just intense practicing it, it could be fooling around or just learning things that you hear on the radio or, or whatever it may be but it was uh it was definitely a, a different era and i think that's really how i how i got into it yeah i was i grew up in a small town too i had friends but at the same time i did conservatory piano from from very young till grade eight so you obviously did you finish yeah, yeah, I went yeah. through uh, uh, basically by the time I was 15 I was kind of a, a post AR um concerto repertoire and and whatnot and and looking to to sort of branch out professionally. Yeah. Um it's uh, and, and that was sort of a different stage where uh, you go from just taking lessons on the side to almost making that your school away from school uh where you'd you'd finish your class and you'd come home and and you'd be on the piano a good four hours before you could really start your homework or, or do anything else. Cause obviously you wanted to get your practice out of the way before your parents got home. <laughs> they, uh, they wanted to make dinner in peace and watch TV in peace. And, <laughs> and they were great. Don't get me wrong. They were, they were amazing, yeah. but yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah, that was, uh, that was the tough angle at the time. So were you always like, were you a serious kid when you're a little kid or were you like, you sound like you would be pretty serious at, because to have that much focus in piano at the age of 15, that's, I think it, it it would depend on which parent you asked, and it would also depend on what age uh, you were <laughs> inquiring about. Because when there was a stretch where I was younger, where I was really into it, and then like so many kids, you kind of hit the the preteen years, twelve, thirteen, and maybe you're you're starting to really develop an aptitude for it, but you just don't have the motivation. Uh, maybe you're kind of rebelling a little bit, uh, or maybe you're just dis- you're getting old enough to discover a lot of other things, you know, that you've uh, sort of been interested in yourself, and you're getting old enough to to make your own decisions. So there there was a stretch probably for about a year and a half where I I really didn't get as much done as I could have had I been an aspiring professional. Uh, but at that point, again, I mean, no regrets because I didn't know what I was going to be. You know, it was just uh, something I was good at at the time, and and I thought, well, you know, whatever, I'll I'll go play baseball, play hockey, do all these other things, and uh, be a kid. Uh, 
yeah, be a kid. And then, and then when I realized I wasn't very good at any of those things, I just came back to what I was good at. <laughs> yeah. I understand where you're coming from. I, I, you know, I guess I, I didn't obviously finish. I got to grade eight and I got grade two theory. And, uh, the fact that I've discovered other things like electric guitar and bass guitar and drums. And I just sort of used the piano as sort of a pushing off point from all the other instruments I learned. And, uh, and for me, the serious part of it, it took a lot of motivation for my parents to get me to be into it, you know? And after a while, I just did it all about myself and I was into it, but exam times are always like, to me, so stressful and yeah, not fun. Yeah. And, and, you know, nothing's changed. It's, uh, uh, I think even today it's, it might even be harder for kids. I think when, when guys like you and I were growing up, there was, you know, more kids kind of getting together, making a band, uh, you know, just fooling around jamming mm -hmm. uh these days i i come across a lot of kids that are sort of prodded along uh partly because their parents want them to do it or maybe they kind of stick with it just because it's habit um but uh, and then you get the uber serious kids especially when you get into a, a, the larger cities like toronto where it's uh you know you have these kids that are 12 and 13 that are already playing extremely <laughs> high level repertoire um it's it's tough but as you say, I mean, if you start with piano, if you, if you ever do have an interest in other things, uh, certainly my wife has a number of students who have decided to do either drums or guitar or saxophone or other instruments. When they get into high school and they start exploring, they love it. And it's it's just so much easier for them. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. When you say things about 12-year-old kids playing like highly skilled piano pieces, what, do you, what are your feelings on that? Because I truly think that kids should kind of learn to be kids and the music that's challenging for them was written by people who are middle-aged or, you know, skilled in life, not just music. Mm, it's a tough one. It's, uh, you, you, like my wife and I both do a lot of teaching and it's, uh, for us, because we don't have kids, it's, it's gratuitous. So a lot of it is, you know, we just have the kids in the house. We don't bill for it. Uh, we just work for them and um or with them rather and uh sometimes we in a few cases we've got kids who are very highly disciplined uh who have great parental support and and really show a general aptitude for it and it's tough for us to say to them look you should really stop at this age and consider doing other things because you won't have a, ch a chance to do that again as you get older um so i i think for those who are you know somewhat naturally inclined and i, I hate using the word gifted um, because even gifted kids have to work for for what they get. You don't just you're not just born with it. Um, even for those those really naturally inclined kids, we exercise caution. But if it's a case where they sort of roll into it on their own, where we just can't slow them down, we we say, you know what? Let's just keep riding this until you either burn out or you don't want to do this anymore or or whatever it may be. And in the other cases where we see kids that are are spending way too much time at it and you can really feel that they're they're kind of fighting an uphill battle um you know obviously we encourage that if that's what they want to do but sometimes that can be uh, uh, sort of pushed by the parents or or maybe both the the, the parents and the kid are, are sort of losing sight of of the greater picture and that is you know you're probably not going to be a concert pianist uh in, in all likelihood you don't enjoy it enough to really want to do it we'll encourage the interest but maybe 
will slow down on your scheduling just a little bit so that you have more time to do other things. And uh, uh, some of the other kids th that we've we've worked with on this, they really do appreciate it. Uh, you know, they go, they play badminton, they play hockey, they play other things. And uh, they like the fact that they can come into their lesson knowing that their teacher is not going to be, you know, whipping them over the back and, and trying to push them into competitions and other things. Yeah. And there's world experiences that make people better musicians. I mean, we know that. And like, I know that, that if you, if you backpack around Europe for a year, you're going to come back a better, a different person. And that's going to be, you're going to be a different musician because of that. Or you're going to write different music if you write music or your experience is what makes you better at, at, at music, in my opinion, you know? And it's, I mean, there's this, there's the whole book smart street stupid thing where some kids are naturally gifted and can just play by ear. And, and those people are, you know, like how do you how do you nurture those folks because they're just so advanced? Uh, yeah, it's my wife is actually a pretty good example of that. We um, we grew up; we were born within the same calendar year, and uh, uh, she has a natural aptitude that I I just really can't put into words. She she can just do it. There's so much that she can just sit down and do because her ear is so incredible. And and again, getting back to that whole I hate the word gifted. Um, yes, she was born with with an aptitude and, and uh, you know a desire to want to obtain those things. But I, I asked her about uh, you know when she was younger, and and a lot of it was her, obviously her parents pushing her very hard to practice, but also it was uh, other musical activities that she did that just helped her sort of round out her her perception. So there was a lot of uh, accompanying in her church. There was a lot of transposing things. There was a lot of just learning simple chord progressions uh, for hymns and whatnot over and over and over again, and, and just sort of developing a an intuitive sense. Uh, it wasn't something that she was born with. It, it wasn't just there. It came from hours and hours and hours of doing these extracurricular music activities outside of what she was obligated to do for her lessons. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's it's given her an incredible edge. Um, but that being said, it, it also came at a sacrifice. Um, it, we often joke sometimes about how, um, like I, I'm uh, proud to say that I own the first 10 seasons of The Simpsons on DVD. <laughs> and, and she has never seen it yeah. because it was, her parents wouldn't let her watch TV. Um, and, and as such, she grew up with, without a lot of those things. And, and those are things that I've certainly come to take for granted. So, uh, if, if I've uh, lost an edge because of that, well, that's okay. I'll, I'll take the exchange. Yeah. You know, and discipline is, and being disciplined at your art is totally noble, but there's also other things in life that make you want to keep doing what you do. You know what I mean? Like, mm. um, you know, it's it's interesting that you'd say people have an aspiration to be an actual concert pianist because if it's anything close to what rock and roll or what radio play or whatever is, I'm sure it's very chances are very slim of achieving that. Oh yeah, goal. yeah, I, yeah. When I um, actually moved down to Toronto and, and started at the the Glengold School, I remember my teacher saying to me, "He goes, you know, you're you're already fighting an uphill battle here." Uh, and I said, "Why is that?" And he goes. Generally speaking, if most people don't know who you are by the time you're 12, at least in this industry, they're probably never really going to know who you are, at least as a performer. And that doesn't mean that you can't make a, a, a very meaningful living or career in the field. Uh, you may do it in different ways, just not unlike how I have. Um, but it's, uh, it is sort of a, a bit of a wake-up call. And uh, it, it's funny that you should mention that because it's, it's not only just for classical musicians, but also for the rock side. And, and I remember I had a friend in high school who's, uh, who had a younger brother who was really into guitar and drums and who didn't even get into music until he was probably 14. 
but just loved it so much and eventually got into a really good group and uh, managed to get signed to a label uh, and was booked for a tour of uh, both Japan and Australia. And they ended up backing out at the last minute because one of them had uh, some marital commitments. But uh, yeah, it just it's you would look at somebody like that growing up and you think, oh, that's that's not somebody who's probably going to get anywhere with it. Uh, but who did? And and so much of it is it's image, it's marketability, it's all of these different things that you can't really foresee in someone who might be really young and really talented. Uh, there's just it's who you know, it's it's where you know them, <laughs> and uh, and uh, when you know them as well. Yeah, I mean, there's so much luck involved in in <clears throat> where where the industry is at the moment that you arrive, and when you arrive with a certain brand you're giving the industry, they either go yes or no, and mm. There's people, there's gateways along the way. And every little gateway you get into, you think, oh, this is, this is not hard. Or, like, I can do this. And then, and then you hit that brick wall and it's like, yeah, it can't come in. You can't come into this room anymore. Like, uh, mm-hmm. you know, and it's, it's, there's such a fine window for musicians, you know, like I had my late nineties to mid two thousands and that was it. That's all I had, you know, and I'm good with it. You know what I mean? Like I wrote some great songs. I put out some great albums. I toured across Europe several times. I put some records. It was one of those things like I'm content and satisfied with the the achievement, you know, because everybody knows it's a very tricky thing. Like, I guess you could say, I want to be the CEO of Tim Hortons. Um, okay. <laughs> How do you do that? I, I, yeah. I, I don't know. I don't know. I guess... You can start in the mailroom, right? Yes, you do. You start in the mailroom. <laughs> I'm, I'm not even sure the CEO of Tim Hortons ever said that at any point in his career. But uh, uh, kidding aside, it's it's very true. And uh, uh, you know, to be able to to not only take the the talent that you've you know worked so hard uh, with and, and and all of these things that you've achieved, it's important to always remember when you set out. And I, I say this to some of my history students. You know, when you study someone like Beethoven or or somebody really famous, I say, why are these guys so great? Why is it that we can look back on an era where there were you know hundreds of other really good composers, but this guy stands out? And we can you know mention all sorts of you know music specific terms and whatnot, but at the end of the day, greatness always finds a way to get to the top. And it's not because everybody else is not great; it's just because that, in its own way, is is celebrated. I think when I was sort of growing as an artist, that was one of the most important sort of realizations I came to. It's kind of a eureka moment because it doesn't seem to matter what what genre you're in, whether it's classical or rock or jazz, there's a tremendous amount of self-doubt in everything you do, whether you're a composer or a performer. And I'm not just referring to things like stage fright, it's just self-doubt as an artist that's always kind of lingering in the back. Um, and it's it's not always easily overcome. But when you you realize that you can do really good things with your your music uh, or your art, and uh, and still not necessarily be hailed as a, a, a sort of a trailblazer or one of the all time greats, uh, that's okay. It's it's not a crime, and it certainly doesn't make you a failure by any stretch. Um, I, I think that's probably the the one thing that we we try to push on the kids here for sure. Yeah, and it's a tough thing about being overconfident at the same time because yeah. that turns that is perceived as an ego that's and and, and we know I know well Canada's a small industry like I, I still run into people that I've worked with in 1992 you know I still talk to some of them <laughs> and if you're perceived as a bit of an egomaniac and you think you're going to you're going to make it 
um, that might hinder your makeitness because you are you as however talented you might be, it's going to affect your business side of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely, and and I think that's um, I know that sometimes gets pushed a lot in this day and age of, of uh, self doubt, but it's uh, uh, I, I think it's more of a breaker than a maker. Uh, confidence and confidence comes. Uh, it's not an illusion. It's not something you you certainly want to broadcast. It it comes from from being confident in your own abilities. It's it's not confident in uh, where you think you're going to go. Uh, it's it's not a confidence in uh, what your aspirations may be or what you think your potential is. It's it's what you're doing now. That that's true confidence. Um, but it needs to be accompanied with a, a level of. Uh, um, sort of humbleness, I guess, would be the, the best word I could come up with. It's uh, especially in a day and age where opportunities are very limited. You really don't want to, to, to push people around. Uh, you, you want to just let things happen as they may and just take advantage of them when they do rather than, than, than try to force yourself uh, into those opportunities. Yeah, that's the tricky thing about being today's musician because you have to manage yourself. And when you manage yourself, sometimes you have to ask the questions to people that you shouldn't be asking as an artist, you know, you should have a manager or, you know, and it's very tough to people to differentiate the manager side of you and the musician artist side of you. Mm-hmm. And that's always a tricky thing that once you've, and then the other side of it is if you do get a manager, you got to make sure that manager speaks the language that you're supposed to be speaking to the people. And it's, mm-hmm. it's such a delicate, delicate balancing act because yeah. I was my own manager I was self-managed and I would ask questions to record labels that I know I needed answers for. But as the artist, I'm the dick asking the dicky questions. And, and if any manager would ask the same questions, it would be like the management questions. Mm-hmm. You know? And I've also said, like, I'm just going to wear a different hat. I'm going to wear the red hat saying I'm a manager now. And then the green hat means I'm going to be the, the artist. And you can speak to me however you want, depending on what hat I got on. <laughs> yeah. It's true. Yeah, no, it's it's very true. I, th- I think um, I re- certainly remember when I was an undergrad, they uh, they brought in an, uh, an artist manager to sort of coach us on on how to handle ourselves because that's something that's not intuitive. Uh, and if you are uh, uh, more humble than confident, uh, it's definitely it's sort of counterintuitive uh, to try to handle yourself and to ask those tough questions and to make sure that you're compensated fairly and that uh, everything goes uh, the way you'd like it to go. Um, it's it's definitely a tough one. One of the things that I see a lot of now, especially with these uh, the younger kids that are doing really well, is their their parents are sort of stepping in and uh, and being their managers, and that can be hit or miss sometimes. Uh, but it's uh, it is tough. Uh, it, it truly is. That's a, a very delicate line. Yeah, even the parents. If the parents screw up the kids' um, future or career, that's going to create a rift. At least you could fire a manager. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, well, and I, I would assume in that case, it's it's definitely more problematic. And I always like to say to people, professional sports is a lot like professional music and that you've a very small percentage ultimately make it um, uh, compared to those who set out to do it. And uh, the, you, just like you have soccer moms and hockey dads, uh, it's the same story. And if you, you look at some baseball players and, and some hockey players, I think uh, uh, Eric Lindros is probably the most well-known hockey player whose dad was very involved with his career and, and uh, almost to uh, to a fault for him 
uh, I think. Uh, I, I recall reading a couple of years ago, there was a hockey player named Jack Johnson who, who made the NHL, but who was filing for bankruptcy in his mid-20s because his parents were looking after all of his money and uh, spent it away. Um, so you can also have misrepresentation, uh, <laughs> even if you uh, leave it in the hands of your family. It, it truly is one of the toughest things to handle. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I, I work with a group whose dad is their manager, and he's like a, a bigwig in some major corporation. But the thing that's missed is, well, you're speaking to artists, and you're speaking to artist management. You can't talk to them like they're mucky mucks over at whatever big corporation you work at. You got to have a different language. You know, that's why there's musicians, lawyers. That's why there's artist management. And artist managers are not sports managers. And sports managers are not uh, Costco managers. You know what I mean? Like, there's a special niche you get yourself into. And uh, it's very damaging sometimes because people are like, I don't want to work with them because they had a crazy dad for a manager. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And uh, yeah. So, so you, you've, uh, what made you what compelled you to tuning pianos was this some, something because I like I have a theory can I tell you my theory <laughs> fire away <laughs> my theory my theory is is that tuning pianos is the closest thing to actually being around the instrument you love it's the closest thing that you still remain actively being able to play uh, you still are close to what's it's what's, what I'd be calling a trade Mm-hmm. Am I close? Yeah, I would say that's all pretty accurate. It's uh, you might want to sort out the order in terms of those realizations that I came to, um, because it, it wasn't quite the. Uh, it's more of a you know what came first, the chicken or the egg. Yeah. And uh, I, I recall when I was studying, uh, when I was getting close to the the end of my studies, I thought, geez, what am I going to do with this? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I I don't see. I'm looking at all of these other great performers with not just pianists, but other instruments as well. And, and thinking, wow, so few of us are actually going to make it. And uh, we all kind of felt like, uh, you know, passengers on the Titanic, just sort of jumping for a life preserver and finding somewhere to swim to, to sort of make a living. And uh, I, I did try at it for a year. I was accompanying, I was doing a lot of teaching. I was uh, down at uh, uh, St. Andrew's College. Uh, it was it was nice, but it wasn't what I wanted. Uh so for me, I think that the the compromise. I, I sat down one day and I thought uh, at one point I was going to go back to school and 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 study uh, just to become a school teacher. Um, but there was another part of me that thought, you know, before you got into music, you you really had an interest in engineering, and uh, the goal was to go to to Waterloo. I, I really wanted to be an architect, and I I veered away from that just because I liked piano more than studying math at the time. Um, but uh, I, I think I, I sort of came back to that and thought, you know, this would be a pretty good compromise if I was ever looking at anything. And I didn't really gauge whether how it was going to keep me in the field or how close it was going to keep me in the field, uh, specifically to performing and those sorts of things. I thought, you know, maybe I can just make a living at this. And uh, then I can sort of keep doing the piano on, on the side. Um, it, it's it's definitely worked in one respect in that it's, it has kept me close. It's so great to be uh, doing things for colleagues of mine, people that I, I studied with, uh, teachers, uh, really high-end students. I get to do a lot of concert work, which is is just fantastic. Um, it doesn't really make you more of a player uh, because the work is just so hard on your hands. Mm-hmm. And when you spend you know ten or twelve hours a day uh, on the piano, generally speaking, the last thing you want to do when you come home is sit more at the piano. Um, so you don't necessarily practice as much as you like. Uh, recently, we bought another piano, and and that sort of got me inspired. 
Uh, but for the most part, uh, uh, I, I don't think it made me practice more, but it did make me practice smarter. Uh, I didn't know anything about the piano when I was playing it. I was just playing it. And, and then once I learned how the, the actual physics worked, uh, all of a sudden, uh, I was able to practice a lot less and accomplish a lot more. I wasn't just banging my head against the wall and uh, doing a lot of the mindless repetition that had worked for me when I was when I was younger. So, it's so funny how you know it's it's not why I got into the field, but those are definitely things and and byproducts that I've noticed from being in the field. Uh, that it it has definitely allowed me to stay tied to it because I would like to think that if I went into anything else, whether it was uh, you know finance or or maybe even into structural engineering or anything like that, uh, I don't think I would have played. I, I really don't. I certainly wouldn't have met my wife. Uh, we both met when we were practicing, um, and uh, and having another musician in my life has also help that immensely too. So it's uh, it's tough to put it all on, on the piano technical side, but I would say you're definitely on the right track for sure. <laughs> Good. Yeah. That's why I record bands, is so I can still stay close to art, you know? And I, you know, I, I think there's, there's so many th things you're, you're destined to do in life. And I, I don't see structural engineering in your, uh, yeah. in your wheelhouse. <laughs> You know, I try to do some of my own renos, and I don't see it in my wheelhouse anymore. Yeah. As, either. <laughs> as sexy as it sounds, yeah, <laughs> just rolls off the tongue. <laughs> mm. Mm. I got a pillar. How much weight can I put on? I don't yeah. know. I got a calculator. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah, yeah. It's, so, I mean, yeah, the fact that you know you've you've played your whole life, and did you? What have you taken out of just piano, and that helps you in life? Well, not just piano, but music in general. I think yeah. um, uh, the, the one big thing is it it helps you really grow as a person and, and discover yourself. And you don't have to be a great musician, um, and it doesn't matter what genre you're in, to, to really sort of open up. When I was a kid, I was very shy. I was very quiet. Um, I think at times I could almost be described as, as somewhat introverted. Uh, but once you you get on stage and you get used to, to dealing with nerves and other things. Uh, one of the things I came to realize when I was probably around maybe 11 uh, was that I used to hate doing speeches. And then I would go and I would play piano at, at either festivals or competitions, whatever. And I would realize, you know what, the piano is way harder than doing speeches. So I would come home and, and this stuff that used to plague me when I was really small, it didn't plague me anymore. I could get up in front of the class. I was not bothered by that. Uh, I wasn't afraid to to look people in the eye and 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 talk to them, and and just open up a little bit. Um, it was uh, it was a big deal. Uh, it it really helped me find confidence just in in being a person, uh, because and, and I know that seems sort of unusual to to be doing something that creates so much self doubt all the time. Uh, ultimately, creates confidence elsewhere. Uh, but but it's true. I guess it was uh, sort of a, a very pragmatic way for me to look at it was that this is easier than that so therefore i'm not going to get worried with this anymore mm. and uh it's it's certainly helped um more to the point i mean it's it's been great for my memory I, I have a fantastic memory because if i can work with these pieces that are 30 or 40 minutes long um and and do these concerts uh, it's it's not hard to remember uh numbers or, or passwords or other things and uh, generally speaking i'm 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 pretty good at those things my wife is always saying how, how good my memory is now i don't forget anything uh, i think that's why um it, it also put me in touch with some absolutely fantastic people and what, what i think i love about music in general is that it can take you everywhere i've worked with doctors i've worked with um uh, i work with sick kids hospital 
sometimes to, to service their piano, other times uh, to work with churches, other times to work with financiers, people that just love music in their lives, but who may not necessarily do it for a living. And to go into their homes and to, to, to see them and to, to kind of get a sort of a snapshot of their life, it's just it's just really nice. It's not like working a regular job where you go to the same place every day and you do the same thing every day. Uh, it's it's always different. Yeah, I think it keeps you refreshed. Yeah, absolutely. And the confidence, you know, as a being in public school as a kid, and and people are like, wait, you play piano? That's a that's a thing that not a lot of people do. Yeah, you know, so. and especially when you're when you're growing up in in the year that I grew up in and it was, you know, it's to be a guy playing piano was kind of unusual. You know, usually it was the girls who played. Um, and I, I remember distinctly, it was kind of in high school where it was a lot of people didn't know I did anything. And then we had a talent show and then I sat down and, and did a bunch of stuff that I had been doing in, in some national competitions. And all of a sudden everybody loved it. Everybody was old enough to kind of get over that, that little bias that you have when you're a little kid, that it's, it's not such a nerdy thing that this is actually really cool. And, uh, uh, I remember learning uh, some really difficult concerti one year and at the same time playing or at least jamming with a band and doing Radiohead and other things just because we could. And and they came to me and said, hey, we need a keyboardist. Do you want to do it? And I said, yeah, why not? Mm-hmm. And it was great. Yeah. Yeah. And did you do the, but you must have done the balance of classical and, and whatever the occasional, you know, pop like Elton John kind of stuff and, and, and Oh, then, for sure. Yeah. And then yeah, Radiohead and Radiohead. Yeah. yeah. Busted open a lot. I think like Pink Floyd and stuff like that as a kid for me was like, this is real piano. You know, I, I, I took classical piano to be able to play that, that type of piano, you know? And, uh, yeah. you know, and the tricky part, I mean, this, I've had this conversation with other people before, but if, if you become so trained to read notes and read what the page tells you to do, it sometimes becomes very difficult to, express yourself in other music or in other genres. Did you, mm-hmm. did you have that issue? Definitely. Yeah. It's um, uh, I, I think it's probably one of the biggest uh, pitfalls that a lot of modern students fall into because we're so dependent on sheet music and, and a lot of the uh, uh, curriculums that we follow are uh, uh, they're, they're sheet music based and we all have to start somewhere, but we, we become very dependent on that. Um, to be able to to improvise and understand chord progressions and how melodies work, it doesn't come from uh, reading a page necessarily. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, I think looking back, I was a fairly oblivious student for a number of years where I, I just, it was put in front of me, I read it, and I, I made it musical to the best of my ability. Uh, but in the grand scheme of things, I had no idea what was going on. I had no idea there were sequences. Uh, I had no idea uh, about modulations and doing all of these other things. And uh, I think that's one of the things that, that kind of motivated me into teaching uh, theory and composition right now, mostly theory, is is just sort of having eureka moments and discovering those things for myself. And I thought, you know, there's a lot of kids who, who may not have a natural aptitude for this, uh, not unlike I did, uh, but they could really benefit from somebody who kind of discovered this stuff by themselves. And it seems to be working. We have pretty good success here. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's just, it's extraordinary stuff when you break it down. Yeah, absolutely. It is, you've, you kind of hit it on the head there too. Like you can be guided as a student in so many different directions but when you discover it for the first time there's no teacher in the world that that can really teach you those moments you know and mm-hmm. i'm talking about when i was like 14 15 16 and like learning other songs on piano and realizing that oh i can use this part to make this part happen those are moments in your life you're like oh my gosh like this is incredible you know yeah. and you you think the whole fact that you've 
you've you put your piano you put your fingers on something and noise comes out and then it's coming out of here down there directly going out to the to the eth you know to to everybody and you've put this from these 10 fingers it's well five four eight fingers and two thumbs where <laughs> you you manage to to conjure stuff you know and that's the magic in my opinion because i i got way more into writing songs like as i was like 19 towards you know last week so the reading part to me it was always like nah, okay because my teacher would just play the piece for me and then then we'd start learning it you know and that was that's how i learned mm -hmm. yeah it's uh the reading part is necessary for a lot of what we do but it's it's kind of a mixed bag because reading and literacy are are two different things uh, reading is just the act of of taking something off a page and and i get it that you need to be literate in order to read but i, th I think that the, the definition of literacy is not just understanding what is in front of you uh but understanding that the nuances that come with it so it's it's easy for us to look at the letter a on a page and we say hey that's the letter a but it can be pronounced in so many different ways and used in so many different words um, it's no different with music. Uh, for us to, I think this was one of my biggest uh, problems when I was younger. I, I have a very weak eye. I have uh, 2060 in my left eye. And, and as such, sight reading was always a real problem for me. Um, so I once I discovered that theory was kind of a way of understanding the patterns that we find in these really advanced scores, I became a little bit more dependent on that to help me learn things. Uh, and it was the only way I could keep up with a lot of the other professional students that I was I was in with, these kids that could learn these really difficult pieces in a week or two. Um, and that was the, the only way I could do it, was that, you know, I've got one eye that fails me. What are the patterns here? What are the things that I need to be looking for? And that's one of the things we try to convey to the kids now is don't just look at the page of music that you're working on. Look at it and as as you would a Sudoku puzzle or other things, because the way that, that we make music, and it's it's not just about music theory in general, but the the way that music is as it exists, Western music, it is one of the greatest inventions in the history of mankind. The division of, of tones and semitones, the way that we can manipulate the modes, the way that the staffs are written on the page for, uh, for our understanding, it truly is one of the most amazing things. How, how uh, pitches uh, are sort of divided evenly uh, between octaves and fifths and fourths and how all of this stuff becomes so coherent for us uh, and, and desirable for our ears. Uh, it's just amazing to to unlock that understanding can really help bring things off the page. Hmm. Wow. <laughs> yeah, it's no, it's 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 true, and it's uh, uh, one of the things that we we try to talk about the kids. We say, look, why is it that you're working on this C major scale, or why is it that you're playing this C major chord? Mm. Uh, why is it that when you end a phrase, it's uh, it always sounds a certain way? We call those cadences. These are the different kinds. Uh, how is it that you can? Why do we have inversions of chords? Why do they make you practice those? What are the differences in sounds when we do that? Um, th there's just so many different nuances to it. Uh, you know, the, the the concept of dissonance in sound versus consonance, right? The idea of having a dissonant sound that resolves to a very placid or calm sound. Yeah. All of those things. Yeah. When you said literacy, that's in in being literate. That's a that's a that's a pretty powerful thing because you say if you write a book, you're writing a bunch of words, but it's the image you conjure from the words you write. Same thing mm. with music. You know, the music you create or the music that's put on a page, it's conjured for not just for you to play, but for you to feel. And if you feel these notes and you feel these, the, what's coming off the page, you're going to then present it from your head through the fingers and then out through the, 
even if it is written, you know, it has the little play louder here, or play softer here, or play, so you know, these are things that you can then feel and put into it, you know. Mm -hmm. But I always have, a, I always have issues with those, some of those pianists that wave the head too much around, you know, and they, <laughs> they feel a little bit too much. <laughs> yeah, well, and, and there you sort of cross another one of those fine lines where you go from musicality into to, uh, imagery or, or marketability and things that musicians sometimes know that they're playing something that might not necessarily be so profound, hmm. uh, it, whether it's structurally or, or harmonically, so they try to sell it in other ways. Hmm. And uh, there are times where, you know, your listeners will really like it, and there are other times where they're going to be like, you know what, uh, that's, that's, yeah. that's kind of silly, it's just a distraction. Yeah. yeah. I uh, I recorded a band where the guitar player was playing his tracks and we're recording. There's no video; it's just straight to tape. And he's like sweating, like he's rocking out, like he's fist pumping and doing scissor kicks in the studio. And uh, it was really distracting for me because I'm like, "What are you? Well, I'm just feeling it, man. I'm just feeling it." I'm like, yeah. "Yeah, but that the scissor kicks are actually um affecting the take because you, you know, yeah, <laughs> you're not playing properly." And, you know, I get it, but he was working up a sweat. And he was really into it. And then yeah. I've recorded singers who, who like shake when they sing and you feel that. And, you, you know, that's the part you're like, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I feel that, you know, but, yep. but the, yeah, the, the head bobbers where they just, you know, and then you close their eyes and look a little bit to the left and a little bit to the right. And then, you know, yeah. Yeah, I, it's funny you mentioned that. I recall when I was studying and uh, I had a teacher, I was working with a, a violist and we went to play for this teacher and, and he watched me and I was in that stage where I was trying to discover my, uh, you know, my, my really powerful musical self and I was moving around on the bench and doing all of these things and we finished off and he says to me, he goes, why is it you're doing that? And I said, oh, I'm, I'm just feeling it just like, you know, you said. And uh, he goes, Honestly, he goes, you look like a woman trying to put on makeup in the backseat of a moving car. It's very distracting, and it's it, you're probably making life really difficult on yourself because you have some really advanced repertoire in front of you, and that's not going to be easier to play when you're moving around like an idiot. And, and after that, I was very stoic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a little bit too much Glenn Gould in there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> probably worse. <laughs> yeah, him in his little chair. <laughs> yep. So, uh, yeah, well, actually, when you did come up, who were your major, did you have mentors? Were you, uh, were you, who did you follow? Uh, for me, actually, Glenn Gould wasn't one of them. Mm -hmm. uh, like, I always kind of knew of him just because he's such an icon in, in Canada. Um, but it's funny, you know, watching that, there was so much of what he did that I didn't like. When I was younger, I thought, you know, you don't need to mumble and you don't need to do all of these crazy things. Uh, when I got older, I, I came to appreciate, I, I just kind of tuned that out and, and came to appreciate the, the, music that he was making which uh, so much of it is so great um but uh, overall no not really i mean it was I, I grew up listening to bands just like anybody else and mm. and and what you would call more mainstream music um classically speaking i think when i was about uh, uh maybe 14 years old um my music teacher gave me a cd uh for our history course and it, it was uh, there was a pianist on there by the name of vladimir horowitz who was playing uh, a piece by chopin and i listened to this it was for my homework and uh, I thought, this is amazing. This is just incredible how he does this. And uh, all of a sudden, I, I found myself looking up at, at you know, who this guy is, uh, when did he die, uh, when did he concertize, how many CDs did he make, uh, going to my local library, seeing if I could get any of them, uh, stuff like that. So uh, he, he was never alive, but he was certainly more of a, a, an inspiration. Uh, once I started studying, I think um, uh, the, the teacher that I spent the most time with was a, a a guy who's recorded a lot on the CBC, 
um, uh, is named Leslie Kinton. And I was with him for about seven years, and, and he was just sort of like a musical father uh, that, that took me from this uh, someone who was you know really young and naive and not knowing anything, and uh, taking me through the whole gambit, uh, mm-hmm. just about everything that you could imagine over those seven years. And they'll uh, always be appreciative of that, for sure. Yeah, it's important that you have that. <clears throat> it's sort of it's almost like master and, you know, and, and, and um, subservient player you know or they do it in indian culture where they have the guru and then they have you sit there and you do the dude's laundry and stuff and <laughs> you know what i mean like it's it's pretty serious where it's not just it's not just the uh the music teaching it's the life teaching and and, and the and the mentoring and that and i never had a mentor i never had a musicianal musician mentor um i had you know like life mentors but None, none of it really um, came with musicians, you know. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, for me, the the first lesson that I had with Les, and and I didn't know he was even going to be my teacher. I was at that point, I was auditioning teachers just as much as the school was auditioning me. Mm-hmm. And uh, the first lesson I had with him was he, he we were explaining the nuances of this one piece, and he was saying it's just like throwing a knuckleball. Uh, and we started talking about baseball. And uh, Phil Necro, who is a, a great pitcher who threw a lot of knuckleballs, and I'm a huge baseball fan, and I think we probably spent 45 minutes of that hour talking about baseball and then golf and then all of these other things. And I thought, yeah, this is the guy I want to study with mm-hmm. uh, because it's, it's not just a guy in a, a penguin suit. Uh, you know, on the stage. This is somebody who, who knows a great deal about life and and who can uh, sort of relate music to a lot of, <laughs> a lot yeah. of the things that I know. Yeah, absolutely. And, and speaking your language, yeah, that's that's yeah. true. Because yeah, using analogies that people don't understand, like how many? Yeah, it's good. You're a hybrid, you know, so you understand sports. See, I don't follow baseball, but uh, I I understand when someone speaks with you know in analogies where you're like oh okay now i get it i get it i understand you don't need to hit me on over the head with it but now you've explained things to me and that's yeah absolutely yeah yeah man so um you are you are uh you're working into a new year a new school year uh yeah it's uh it's hard to believe it's going into year 12 there yeah um but uh i remember your first day there yeah, that's right. You're one of the first people I met there. Yeah, yeah. it's uh, uh, it's it, not much has changed. It's still the same two pianos on the stage, and yeah. uh, uh, it's uh, things are you know in need of a lot of service as always. Yeah. So uh, I'm I'm back in on Monday, and uh, uh, we'll see how bad it is. I'm sure it's going to be <laughs> a, a, a great big mess. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I remember the guy you replaced because the guy you replaced was like, yeah, he was didn't seem too interested. But I think you said something like he he mentored you or taught you. Or something. He... Yeah, he was. That was uh, that was a guy named Wayne Ferguson, and yeah. and uh, I, I think it was it was just a tough situation that he was kind of put into there. Um, so there was we had a bit of a changing of the guard, but uh, no, for for years leading up to that, uh, I had the pleasure of being able to follow him around and, and learn things from him. And and uh, there were a network of technicians um, that I had met through through Yamaha Canada, and uh, he was one of them. And uh, I, I was able to take so many things from from each of these guys. And at, at one point or another, uh, they've all been to the school uh, when we have our usually our, our summer service tours. And uh, to uh, as someone who's sort of an aspiring technician at that time, uh, the the lessons were invaluable, and they they definitely put me on on the fast track. Yeah, he was actually really cool to me through like the last eight months of his life, his career there, because he was only there for about a year. Yeah, it was one year. And he was kind of like standoffish. And then I finally started telling, I was expressing an interest in, in tuning pianos. Cause I'm like, 
I'm fascinated by how you do this, you know, and you do it all by ear. And then he started like, oh, okay, well, this, you know, it took a warming up period. And then finally, like at the end of it, he gave me some mutes and he gave me a, a hammer and he's like, this is how you kind of do it. And he sent me off on my own little, you know what I mean, direction. It was kind of neat. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, no, he's pretty cool that way. Yeah, yeah. So, well, hey, um, this is cool. I, uh, <laughs> I, I, do you have a website where you people come to you and, or do you have a Facebook? Like, how do people look you out, search you out for teaching and whatnot? Believe it or not, I have, um, at one point when I first got into the business, I did have a website and, and all of these things. And I actually have taken myself completely off the radar. There's no site. Uh, there's no registry in the phone book or anything like that, and uh, everything I do is is completely word of mouth um, because it's. Uh, I, I found that I was getting a lot of inquiries from people, um, you know, just asking how much you charge, uh, this and that. Whereas uh, people who are referring by mouth are generally giving me people that are uh, either students that are having the same aspirations as their kids, uh, people that have had good experiences with me and whatnot, and mm-hmm. it, it tends to 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 lead to to better relationships that way. Um, so it's, uh, yeah, so there is no way, but that's, uh, no, I'm on Facebook. I mean, anybody is welcome to, to look me up or email me, uh, or they can even contact me through you if they're really looking for me. But, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's very robust as it is. And I found that that was actually a good way to kind of cut things down and keep them from getting out of control. No, that makes sense. That makes sense for sure. Well, I'll tell you tune a mean piano and you play pretty, you play pretty good too. Yeah. (laughs) Well, thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was always interesting coming through the back door and I go, hear this beautiful piece. I'm like, who is that? And it was like, oh, because usually, you know, t- 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 take it for the spirit, but usually the piano tuner isn't really that much of a piano player. They're usually just good at tuning pianos, you know? Yeah, that's, well, most tuners are, they, they play a, uh, they play to some degree for sure. I haven't met any pianos or piano tuners rather who don't play, mm. um, but they, it, Generally, when you get to a really high level, it's pretty rare that you get into apprenticing and technology and support because it is just murder on your hands. Yeah, no, uh, no. Sanding and, and all of the other stuff. And uh, it's been a few years since you've heard me play, and it's uh, it's definitely caught up to me a bit for sure. But uh, <laughs> uh, I still do play. We have a, a lovely silent series piano upstairs, so now I can practice all night and I don't disturb anybody. Mm. And uh, and I have been taking advantage of that for sure. So it's, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's a lot of fun. The instrument itself is just, uh, it wasn't the way that I had planned this out, mm-hmm. but to, as you said earlier, you know, to be able to stay close to it and, and to have a life sort of centered around it has actually been uh, pretty meaningful and rewarding for me. Well, that's cool. That's a good way to end off. Thanks for, thanks for doing this, Andrew. You're more than welcome. Good talking with you. And that was Andrew Navosky. Good conversation. Good dude. I'm glad I got him on the show. Um, yeah. So everybody, thanks again for listening to this episode. Thanks to Bose for bringing by the beer. It's always welcome. Keep bringing it, Bose. I'll keep drinking. I'll keep talking about it. I got to tell you, though, it is delicious beer. Okay? Hands down. the one, Some of the best beer I've ever had. It feels like I used to do a lot of trips to Germany, and it feels like I'm drinking German beer because there's no preservatives. There's no additives. It's delicious. Thanks. Don't forget to shop on Amazon by going to applelog.ca slash Amazon or applelog.ca slash US Amazon to pick it up, folks. Why don't you go to Patreon and support the show? That'd be great. Patreon.com slash Applelog. Become a patron. Hey, that's great. Um, also, iTunes. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and view the show. Don't forget to like the show on Facebook by going to facebook.com 
slash epilocpod. Follow me on Twitter at Simon8666. Thanks again for Andrew for doing the show, everybody. Uh, this is supposed to be a best of episode, but I, I squeaked like I got three amazing episodes done in one night. And that's a record for me, everybody. A record. Now I'm going to go on holidays. So if I don't get an episode out next week, it's because I might not have an internet connection close to me. But that's the only thing that's going to stop next week's episode. But next week's episode, I know, is who is it going to be? I know it's going to be. I'll tell you. It's going to be Tyler Wilkinson talking to me from his car on the way back from Nashville. He's going to talk about this new Wilkinson's tour that's happening. And uh, that's going to be fun. So, everybody, thanks again for listening to the show. We'll see you again next week, okay? I'll be here. Bye.